Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. There you go. Um, this morning, I want to encourage you to um, enter into this sermon by thinking about the how Jesus told it, why he told it, and I, I want, actually, I mean, I'm encouraging you to get emotionally involved and think through it a, a number of different ways you might not have when Jan just read it to us. Um, but I want to direct, first of all, to verse 9. If you look in your, ver in your bulletins, it's there. I'm reading from a different translation. But he says, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. This is the key to the passage. The whole parable was designed directly for his immediate audience, of which there were some who thought they were on top of the hill and everybody else was at the bottom of the hill. And they looked down their noses at them. He was looking at them eye to eye, and he's basically saying, Bluntly, you are self-righteous. You know, we tend to think about, you know, say, oh, that person's so proud, but we don't tell them face to face. <laughs> Jesus is coming point blank, and he's saying, for us, this is the audience, and this is why he told this parable. Um, I once was a um, church planter. So this is, you know, having a child be able to crawl, you know, in 15 seconds to the pulpit. I'm kind of used to that. Um, but I started a church in Southern Pines and pastored it for 15 years and uh, enjoyed it. The church, God blessed it, it grew. Um, one of the pastors on the staff of that church once told me, he says, Ken, I think you have a gift. And I go, oh, good. What gift do you think I've got? And he says, you got a gift for getting people unsaved. And then God turns around and saves them. And when I reflected on a lot of my preaching, I think he was right. And I think Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's trying to get some people unsaved in their mind so that they would be willing to hear the truth. Um, they were confident in their own righteousness, which means because of their own religiosity, they thought they were better than everybody else. Um, and they looked down their noses. This leads me to a parenthetical comment. Please do not think this sermon is for someone else. It is for you. Okay? 
I want you to come from that perspective rather than, you know, are you listening, Billy? You know, are you, you know, Jan, did you hear that? Um, try to put your seat, yourself in the seat the, of the original audience when Jesus told this story. And I pray that as a result of that, we'll have an encounter with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, and would they be tuned to you? And would we reflect in our listening, in our applying, and in our understanding, and even in our emotions to what you want us to feel and see and think? In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the short story. It's really easy to read, Jan. We thank you for doing that. Um, I understand it's a shorter passage than last week that somebody had to read, uh, so Jan was happy. But there's one man, a Pharisee, and the other one, a tax collector. Let me tell you about the nicest Pharisee in town. Um, I want to make some comments about this passage. First, the good man, there's a good man and a bad man in this story. The good man is a really good man. Um, he's a Pharisee. Now, when we uh, hear that word today, or if someone called us a Pharisee, we'd say, oh, I'm, I'm not fake. You know, I'm not putting on a mask. I'm not this. I'm not that. We take it as a, uh, as a terrible insult. But I want to, to remind you, I think I've mentioned this before, that um, this Pharisee in Jesus' day, it was not an insult. So when he started the story and he said and there was a Pharisee, instead of our minds going, oh, boo, bad, boo, hiss, they would be going, oh, yeah, Pharisee. They're, they're pretty good folks. Um, they would be considered among the highest rank of religious people. They had a lot of respect. Uh, historians tell us that they were, um, they were not very many Pharisees, probably between 1,000 and 2,000. Um, probably not more than that, and they, so they were a small group, and they were sincerely devoted to the law of God. Um, when the temple was destroyed, the godly men developed a pattern of worship that centered around the law, the, the Old Testament that we have today. The spiritual descendants of those godly people that set up that worship were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, the at that time, the, the conservative church planters of the day because we find that they wanted a distinctive biblical um, teaching in the area so they tried to maintain that so they did not plant churches they planted synagogues and they were the ones because of their efforts the secular influence of babylon the persians the greeks and greeks and then even rome were pushed back and so as each new world gained um, position, the Pharisees maintained and were able to have a spiritual life in the nation of Israel. Synagogues were founded in almost every city, but not just in Israel, but all over the Roman Empire. They would look for 10 men, and then they would form a synagogue. Um, and what we did, we found at the time of Jesus, that they were Jews still worshiping God, they were living a distinctive way of life, and they were teaching the scriptures to their children, just like we encourage today, right? So they were conservatives. Um, much credit to the spiritual nature goes to the Pharisees, and so they were highly respected. The first century centurion Josephus said this, 
And it's in Joseph, Josephus Antiquities, book 18, chapter 1, verse 3. Just so you know, if you want to look it up. It says, the cities gave great attestations to the Pharisees on account of their entire virtuous conduct, both in their actions of their lives and in their discourses also. So that's why when we read this story and he says the Pharisee went up to pray, we're not supposed to go, ooh, no, bad Pharisee. Where in the original audience, they would go, all right, a Pharisee, one of our guys, yay. You could, you could say it would be like um, a chaplain at JGR. You go, oh, yeah, that's a good guy. Or a PCA pastor. Or, God forbid, even a North Cross church member. Okay, so, you know, you could say, um, and a North Cross member came into the church to pray. It, that would be kind of the context. Um, and then when you read about the tax collector, we're supposed to go boo hiss. The tax collector were the most despised people of the area. How many of you love your grandma or loved your grandma? Okay. And the rest of you, we'll talk later. <laughs> Imagine someone that goes to your grandma and says, you have to give me your life savings because it's taxed by the Romans. But you know that 5% of it goes to Rome and 95% of your grandmama's money is going to this tax collector's coffers and he's building a better house he's doing all that on the back of your grandmom's retirement would that burn your grits <laughs> i i would be upset right and so when jesus told this story he said the pharisee yay and then he go a tax collector bad guy I mean, he's ripping off the people. He is hated because he's doing it with the Romans, which were hated also. But here's a Jew doing the Romans' bidding and at the same time making a great living out of it. So when the story reads Pharisee, we, we know the statements about their piety. Everything that Jesus mentions about the Pharisee in the story was pretty much historically true about Pharisees. Um, when it says, when Jesus says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, uh, we see that as a proud statement, kind of like you would never put yourself above other people, right? Well, no, I, everybody else that would hear that and they would look at a Pharisee and they go, you're right. He, he is, you know, a prince among men. He's not like everybody else. He, he has a higher standard of morality and he's far beyond the standard of morality for that day. When we think of all-star from our town, it's that Pharisee. When he said, I fast twice a week, it happens literally that they did. They fasted every Monday and every Thursday of every week. When he says, I give tithes of all I possess, he means he gives it on the gross. He tithes everything. He, he tithes the things that aren't required to be tithed on. So, you know, if he gathers some cinnamon, and he has this much, he would put apart and give that to the Lord. When he says, I'm not a crook, he literally was not. He would be somebody you could trust with your grandmama's money. 
when he says, I'm not like this filthy tax collector, he really is not. He's not like that guy. When he says, I do not commit adultery, he was faithful to his wife. When he says, I am honest, I am faithful, I'm zealous for my religion, you would say, yeah, he is. And everybody in the crowd would go, I know that to be true. That's true. I know it's to be true. And then when he prayed, he was telling the truth. Everything he said about himself was true. He wasn't making it up like we do. He was telling the truth. And everybody was like, yeah, I think that's the truth. I, I, that's true about him. That's why the story is so shocking. We've lost some of our shock because we've heard the story before. And sometimes it can gloss over and we kind of glaze over. But I think um, it's really shocking when Jesus said, not only verse 9, that I'm, I'm talking to y'all and y'all are self-righteous. And then he tells this story. And Jesus said, when he looked at this man, this man was lost. The good man was lost. Although he was a good man, Jesus said he was going to hell. Now, that goes against most religion. I mean, if you, if you were to, I have done this. If you were to poll people and ask people, how do you get to heaven? Mostly they say you need to be a good person, right? They would say, if you do this, you do this, you're going to go to heaven. We know the gospel doesn't say that. But we would, most of the world says if you're a good person, if you have a big scale here and you have more good than bad, you're going to get in. We have a lot of giving to charities because people are trying to make up for their bad. So sometimes that, that false understanding is good for other charities. But when this tax collector, when you talk about him, he was a dirty, rotten, no good tax collector. He, he was no good. He would rob you blind. He'd give, you, give a little money to the Romans and then keep the rest for himself. And probably nobody had done more wrong in that era than the tax collector. When I say dirty, rotten sinner, sinner you might go, oh, you're just exaggerating. No, it's exactly the way that Jesus told the story of how the man prayed. Look what he prayed. He said, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, there's something in the Greek language that you ought to be aware of. In, in the Greek, in the New American Standard Version, it reads this way. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Uh, in the Eng English Standard Version, the NIV, it says a sinner. But the the there basically says, he's saying, I'm the chief of all sinners. I am the worst of all sinners. I'm as bad as can be. And so when Jesus told this story and he, he says, the tax collector says, I am the sinner, everybody would go, you're right. <laughs> Just as much as they say they were right about the Pharisee, they say, you're right. You are the sinner. You're the worst one I've ever known. Tax collectors. And here's the paradox of the story. A good man as good as you can be on a moral basis, a man as bad as it could be on moral basis, Jesus says, we have a Supreme Court justice and we have the biggest thief in all Judaism. The Supreme Court justice is going to hell. The thief is going to heaven. The good man is lost. The bad man is saved. It's the reversal of fortunes. Why was the bad man saved? The bad man was saved 
Because in the story that Jesus told, he prayed this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's break down that prayer. It's a nice short prayer. God, he prayed to the right person. That's important. He prayed to the right person. Be merciful. That was the exact right request. Be merciful. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But he also said, to me, the sinner, and he made the right confession. We confessed our sins earlier. He was confessing. I am the sinner. Notice the middle word where it says, God, be merciful to me. Literally, that could be, and I'm going to use a 50-cent word that y'all probably already know. But it says, God, be propitiated to me. This is a propitiation means to take the wrath of God that's due to our sins and turns it and puts it on Jesus. And he takes the wrath away and puts it on Jesus. He propitiates. He takes the wrath of God away. You know, our salvation is not, we're not saved from our sins. We're saved from the wrath of God, which we deserve. That's what God does when he saves us, what he propitiates to me. So the word be merciful to me is the verb form of the, of the noun that we get the word mercy seat. Be merciful to me, the mercy seat. Um, what does that mean? There's a picture in the Old Testament. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you might remember, that there was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box that was so high by this big, it had uh, wings going like this to the angels. And then in the middle, uh, there was a space. That was where they believed the presence of God abided with the people. In the box were the, the law, the Ten Commandments, um, which was the standard that God set, gave to his people. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the top part, was called the mercy seat. And there, those two golden cherubim were there on, on top. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would slaughter a goat. And with the blood of the goat, he would enter into the Holy of Holies, and he would take that, that blood and sprinkle it on top of the mercy seat. Now, envision this way. I'm a visual thinker. If God is looking from heaven down and he looks on the Ark of the Covenant and he looks inside, what does he see? I told you already. What's in the? The Ten Commandments. He sees the law, right? Which is the standard by which men should be judged. So when he looks at the law and then he looks at the people, what does judgment require? If he's a just God, he has to execute judgment. But then when the blood was put on the top, he would look down and he would see the blood, which means that's the sacrifice that has been given to, to postpone God's judgment. That's why they had to do it every year. And then ultimately we find in Hebrews, as this is explained in great detail, how Jesus was the final sacrifice and his blood was put on the mercy seat. His blood was the one and it didn't postpone it for a year of the judgment. It did it forever for those who would trust in Jesus. And so when this tax collector says, God be merciful to me, he says, God be mercy seat me. Would you look down and treat me as if the blood was put on the mercy seat, and would you give me that sort of grace? Because I am a sinner. You are God. I have no hope unless you show mercy to me. Look down 
and see the blood. Now, I know don't trudge me on the basis of the Ten Commandments. Please, I have no hope. No hope. Judge me on the basis of your mercy because you have provided a sacrifice. Here's the situation. If nothing comes between us and God, if we do not appeal to Jesus to be merciful, if we do not ask Jesus to be our Savior, if we don't ask him to take God's wrath away, we get God's wrath. The bad man in this story, that scoundrel, that crook, that tax collector, that cheat, was truly bad. But he prayed. And Jesus said he walked away justified. Why was the good man lost? Jesus said, gives us a shocking statement at, at, in verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Why? Because this man, when he prayed, all he did was boast about his goodness before God, even though he was good. Look at verse 11. Two men went to the temple. The Pharisee stood up and prayed to himself. <laughs> you could have glossed over that. He was pumping himself up. You know, it's, it's like a, you know, look how good I am. I, yeah, I believe it. I believe my own press. So when he prayed, he was saying out loud how good he was. He was praising himself. It was a spiritual self congratulatory, he was giving his own speech. God, I'm such a wonderful man. You're lucky to have a guy like me. I um, used to be athletic a long time ago. And I was one of four boys. We competed about everything. If one of the brothers threw a piece of paper in the garbage can and made it on the first time, we're there for 30 minutes. Okay, you got three out of five. Let's go for out of 10. We would do it until we, there was one day, it was a sad day. My brother, there was this um, little satchel thing, you know, little, about this big, and it had two handles on the top, you know, just a little satchel. And he threw it across the room, and it hung on the doorknob. We were impressed. And all of us started going, let's get it. And we were throwing that for, for a long time until my mom came. You're beating the door up. Stop. We, we, but we would, we would compete. And then when whoever won, did you see it yesterday? When you, did you watch football? Some great games. I hate it when somebody makes a good play and they're going, you know, they're standing over the guy. Or they're saying, yeah, look what I did to you, or whatever. And, and it's all about themselves. You get, the, you get the emotion. That's what Jesus is portraying, this Pharisee saying, it's all about me. I'm doing good. Two men went to pray. One was saved, one was not. The loss, this is, here's the key. The Pharisee thought he was saved. The Pharisee thought he had everything lined up. And Jesus tells this story 
to those like the Pharisee in the story to say, you don't. You're missing it. Completely missing it. Now, I want you to notice one other point. He prays, the, the tax collector prays, and he's saved. Jesus is telling the story. Love this story. It's his story. He says, there's immediate salvation in his story. And you might say, no, sir, it's not that easy. You just can't get saved like that. I think you have to do something to be saved, right? Don't you have to make some promises? Don't you have to change some stuff? It's not in this story. He prayed, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Confession, mercy, right, directing it to the right person. And Jesus said that day he went away justified. The man didn't make a deal. He didn't have to make a deal. He had nothing to offer. He didn't promise anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't offer anything. But he cried out for mercy, and the mercy of God was given to him. The Pharisee thought he deserved God's mercy, and therefore he missed it. The tax collector knew he didn't deserve anything from God, but he asked for it. And it's amazing. That's a great story. Let me close with four abiding principles. First, actually, I got five. This story teaches about the tremendous danger of religious self-deception. The Pharisee is basically saying, look at my fruits. But the reality, he had no roots. God looks at things, secondly, that we don't look at. He looks on the inside and responds to those who call for mercy. The worst, thirdly, the worst sinners often make the best candidates for salvation. Why? Because they know they have a need. Fourthly, your only hope of going to heaven is to do what the bad man did, is call for mercy. And fifthly, and don't miss this, Jesus tells this story to those who are self-righteous, like this Pharisee, and he's telling the story to them because he loves them. He's trying to shock them so that they will be, have the attitude of calling out for mercy. So he's confronting them, boom, with the truth of who he is and how, the, how this works. And he's saying, don't miss it. Jesus loves them. So cry out for God's mercy. Do you want to get to heaven? I imagine, the Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine that the door to heaven, there's a, there's a sign at the top of it that says for sinners only. We, at the church I started, I would always remind people when they join the church, because we have those five questions just like you did. Do you, you know, do you admit you're just a sinner justly deserving God's wrath? And then I would pause after they say I do. I said, don't forget that. Nobody can join this church unless you're a sinner. And don't act like you're not once you've joined. We all know. We all know. So it's a simple prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you would say it and mean it, you could be sure of heaven today before you leave. You could pray that right now. You might say, no, no, I'm too bad. No, no, you can't be bad, worse than the guy that Jesus described. If you prayed that, and you really mean it from the bottom of your heart, God will hear your prayer, and he will justify you. He will forgive you because of the blood of Jesus. God always responds to a cry for mercy.
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for telling us the story that we could look at today. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you that you love the Pharisees so much that you did not want them to be deceived by their own goodness. Thank you for giving us. You, you were very blunt in this story, and I've tried to be blunt in this sermon. And Father, but only you can pierce the heart. So we pray that you would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.